Hi there, and welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. Today's message is part of a series called Gems from Galatians. For more teaching on the book of Galatians, be sure to get a hold of Kevin's newly released commentary on this important letter written by the Apostle Paul. Kevin's new commentary is available in paperback format from Amazon, in ebook format for Kindle, and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. Okay, let's uh, turn to Galatians chapter 3, and we'll pick up uh, the verses that we're going to be uh, uh, majoring on tonight, as well as uh, finishing our session from last uh, week. All right, Galatians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to pick up from verse 14 uh, through, to, through to 19, just for, the, uh, for our session tonight. Galatians 3, verse uh, 14, reading from the uh, New King James here. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it, be, uh, it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annul, annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till these seeds should come to whom the promise was made and it was all appointed through angels by the hands, the hand of a mediator. The Lord bless his word to our hearts tonight. All right, now let's just uh, remind ourselves of what we were covering last week. Last week we were particularly uh, picking up the whole issue of the covenant of faith uh, given to Abraham, and in our notes we went through some of the key words in this chapter. Uh, one of the key uh, words was Abraham, uh, mentioned at least nine times. Then another key uh, thought that we have, which we're continuing on tonight, is the word covenant, a man's covenant or God's covenant to Abraham. And then another key word, which we'll pick up in a subsequent session, is the word promise, referred to at least uh, 11 times in the epistle to the Galatians. And then in our session last week, we defined uh, or gave the definition of the word covenant in the English, mutual understanding between two or more parties, each binding himself to fulfill specified obligations, a legal contract, a binding or written agreement. And then we looked at the uh, Hebrew thought of covenant, of passing between the pieces of sacrifice as each uh, commit themselves in covenantal relationship to each other. And then uh, we just looked at the definition of the word in the Greek, the diatheke, and uh, that it means a... Um, a disposition and arrangement made by one party with plenary power which the other party may accept or reject but cannot change in the distinct uh, New Testament word. And then uh, we went through some of the things that God is a covenant-making God, God is a covenant-keeping God, God is a covenant-revealing God, God is a covenant-enabling God. 
The uh, next thing we picked up, and just to remind ourselves from the overhead here, that uh, we went into the three parts of a valid biblical covenant, and uh, we saw how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in the covenant, the Father as the originator, the initiator, the covenant maker and keeper, the first, the beginning and the beginning God, and then uh, we have the Son, who is the sacrifice of body and blood, the second person, the mediator and ratifier of the covenant. Um, I forget where I got this from, but I thought it was very good for a little boy, uh, his theology, when they asked him in class about uh, how he understood the Godhead, and uh, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this little boy said, uh, three in one and one in three, but it was one in the middle that died for me. How many think that's good theology for a little boy? Three in one, one in three, but it was the one in the middle that died for me. Uh, good theology for a little boy. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the sacrifice of body and blood, the second person, the mediator and ratifier of the covenant. And then the Holy Spirit, his part in the uh, covenantors, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit is the covenantors, is the executor, appointed to carry out the will and testament of the Father and Son, the third person. Uh, he's the completer and fulfiller of the covenant. And then uh, bringing it down to what you have on your notes there, every uh, biblical covenant uh, is only a valid covenant if it has these three things. It must have words and promises of the covenant, and then must have the blood or the sacrifice of the covenant, and then it must uh, be sealed, the seal of the covenant. And so we went through this uh, here that the covenant involves the Father's word to us, and the Son's work for us, and the Holy Spirit's work in us. So he said, in looking at that part, the Holy Spirit comes to do in us what Jesus has done for us, and Jesus did for us what the Father promised to us. So those things constitute a valid covenant. And then we illustrated that in the marriage covenant uh, with my wife, who I don't know where she is tonight. Probably there may fly where I have to be. But I thought you were top priority too. All right, so uh, we went through uh, on your sheet here. So if you've got your sheet, pick up your sheet and we need to finish some of the things in here. Uh, so we were going through the words and the promises of the covenant and the sacrifice of the covenant and the seal of the covenant. And uh, all together we noted that there were nine major covenants, as I understand some expositors say only seven, because they look for the word covenant, so it's not used till Noah's time, but the covenantal language is there. So we say nine covenants, so we have the Edenic covenant, uh, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, Palestinian covenant, Davidic covenant, and then uh, ultimately the new covenant. Now, you'll notice on your sheet there from last week that the Edenic covenant, we refer to the Edenic covenant, the covenant that God made with Mr. and Mrs. Adam. How many know it was uh, Mr. and Mrs. Adam before the fall? How many don't know that? It was not Adam and Eve. What, what, you're looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. Just turn quickly over to, to uh, uh, Genesis, just for those who did not know that. Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Before the fall, it was really Mr. and Mrs. Adam. So Genesis 5 and verse uh, 1 and 2. Listen to what it says here. Genesis 5 verse 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them. You'll notice he made them male and female, not male and male. He did not create them, Adam and Steve. 
but uh, after the fall, Adam and Eve, okay? Uh, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So before the fall, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Adam, it was Mr. and Mrs. Adam. After the fall, Adam gave his wife the name of Eve. So uh, uh, when my wife married me, she took my name and my money. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's what marriage is about, isn't it, eh? First, you start off calling them dear, later on you call them expensive. But that, that's all right, that's what it's all about. So uh, the Edenic covenant is the covenant, as you've got on your notes there, is the covenant that was made uh, in creation. The covenant of creation was made before sin. Then sin entered, and we see that the rest of the covenants, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Palestinian, Davidic, new covenants, are all covenants of redemption. So on your notes there, you've got covenants in time, uh, covenants of redemption made after sin. All right, let's just go quickly through what we've uh, covered so far. We said, as we've got on the overhead here, every covenant has these three, three, uh, three things, the words or promises, sacrifice of the covenant, and the seal and token. So under the Edenic covenant, I just gave you a couple of scriptures there. We have the words of the covenant, Genesis 1, 26 to 30, Genesis 2, 16 to 17. Sacrifice of the covenant, we said that was implied uh, by implication that Adam possibly bled to provide his bride, but there was a sacrifice as the bride was taken from his side. Actually, the scripture says that God uh, took a rib from Adam's side, and when it says he made a woman, the Hebrew thought there is God actually builded a woman. He built the woman. He built a bride for Adam. A beautiful picture there. So he, he built a woman out of that one rib, uh, the uh, place nearest to his heart, he built a woman. So implied sacrifice, and then the seal and token we say was the tree of eternal life in uh, Genesis chapter 3. The Adamic covenant gave you the whole chapter there, Genesis chapter 3, on the words and promises of the covenant. And then uh, the sacrifice of the covenant again implied uh, when God killed an innocent uh, sacrifice, innocent animal. And Adam and Eve actually wit witnessed the first death the first substitutionary sacrifice uh, when that uh, animal was killed. And then uh, under, the, under number three, the seal or token to them were the coats of skin. So they, they were clothed in the death of a sacrifice, clothed in the death of another. They were taught the truth uh, of substitutionary, uh, substitutionary sacrifice. Then we finished on the... Uh, Noahic covenant, I think, or the Abrahamic, we go to Genesis chapters 8 and 9 for the Noahic covenant. Sacrifice of the covenant, we have the first specific mention of altars. And uh, in Genesis chapter 8, <clears throat> pardon me, verses 20 to 21, we're told that uh, Noah built an altar to the Lord and offered of every clean sacrifice. So first record of an altar and then the offering of clean animals. Uh, then we all agreed together that this one was a little bit easier. The seal and sign and token of the uh, Noahic covenant is the rainbow. Still with us today. So every time we look at the rainbow, we, we're reminded of the promise of God to Noah and to the whole of creation. All right, now we pick up and the next one here. Uh, did I give you scriptures on the Abrahamic covenant? 
Okay, take down these, and these are just chapters because uh, we're not doing covenants all together, but uh, I want to zero in onto the whole issue of covenantal confusion in the, in the Galatian epistle, in the Galatian churches. All right, so uh, these are chapters on the Abrahamic covenant, the words and promises of the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17 and Genesis 22. That's Genesis 12, 15, 17, 22. They are the major chapters of the covenant to Abraham. So Genesis 12, uh, chapter 15 and verse, uh, chapter 17 and chapter 22. Uh, now, the same covenant was made with Isaac and Jacob. So when God said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, on previous occasions we mentioned this, they are the only three men that God has ever picked out as what I refer to as a trinity of men that God has been pleased to call himself the God of. He's the God of Adam, he's the God of Elijah, he's the God of Moses, but no trinity of men. Only these three. So God says, I'm the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Because Abraham, he has the characteristics of the father. He's the first, the beginning. Everybody goes back to father Abraham. So he's the originator and issue. So God the father came to Abraham the father. So he has the characteristics of the father God. And then, of course, Isaac, the only begotten son, Jesus is the only begotten Son of the New Testament, so I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, so the Father to the Father, now the Son to the Son. Uh, so as I've mentioned on previous occasions, only two only begotten sons in Scripture, Isaac, the only begotten Son of the Old Testament, and Jesus, the only begotten Son of the New Testament. So we have uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, or Isaac in the Old Testament here, the only begotten Son, and in type he is sacrificed as he goes to Mount Moriah and after three days' journey in, in type, uh, was uh, sacrificed and then raised from the dead. And then the third person uh, represented in Jacob uh, has some characteristics of the Holy Spirit. You say, how can that be, Kevin? All right, this is what we say. Isaac was the only begotten of the Father, but Jacob, the third person of that trinity of men, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Jacob was the third person of the Trinity of men, and Jacob proceeded from the father Abraham through the only begotten son, and the chief characteristic about Jacob is he's the first one in the Bible to anoint with oil. He anoints Bethel, the house of God. He is the anointer. And so it shadows forth the Holy Spirit as the anointer and as the anointing on Bethel, uh, the church of God, the house of God today. So I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So these three men, as in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all involved in the one covenant. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are involved in the one covenant. Under the Abrahamic covenant, put these scriptures that involve uh, Isaac and Jacob on the same covenant. Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26 verses 2 to 4 where God repeats the covenant to Isaac as he did to Abraham. So the same covenant. Genesis 26 verse 2 to 4 and then to Jacob, Genesis 28 
Genesis chapter 28, verses 3 to 14. So that's Genesis 26, 2 to 4, and Genesis 28, 3 to 14. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all partakers of the one covenant. All right, now let's go to the sacrifice of the covenant here. And uh, we have a very significant thing here, and I'm spending a bit more time, because, because Galatians brings in Abraham, and, and, and Paul goes back to the Abrahamic covenant, uh, which we've uh, given you the sheet on, we're going to deal a bit more fully tonight. Let's look at some of the things there. Um, Genesis chapter 15 why don't you turn again to that and uh, uh, for your notes, I want you to put Genesis 15 and Genesis 22. Three scriptures I want to give you, Genesis 15, Genesis 22 and also Hebrews 11 verses 17 to 19. So that's Genesis 15, Genesis 22 and Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. Let's turn back to Genesis 15. And uh, you may remember last week with everything else you're supposed to remember. Remember I said that uh, one of the principles of interpreting the Word of God is this, particularly the Old Testament, that in the Old Testament God often got men to do typically what He Himself was going to fulfill actually. So that's a really important key. So all through the Old, Old Testament, God gets men to do typically in the Old Testament what He Himself is going to fulfill actually in the New Testament. Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. So here's another example, Genesis 15. And uh, just reminding you of what we uh, touched on a little bit in the previous session. Uh, go down to verse uh, 8. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me in a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst, laid each piece one against the other, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and we said this was Abraham's Calvary experience, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And then we find in verse 17, it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord cut the covenant, or made the covenant, literally cut the covenant. Now, let's go to Genesis 22, just for a couple of verses here. Genesis 22. And just glance over two or three verses because we have a lot to cover in our time together. Um, in uh, Genesis 22, verse 1, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. So in verse 2, he says, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Mount Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. And so uh, he rose up and verse 4, then on the third day <clears throat> Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Then he's about to slay his son as he put the altar, put the son on the altar and then God called to him out of heaven and he saw the ram, the truth of substitution. And we have the redemptive name, Jehovah Jireh, uh, the Lord will provide. Remember we said on previous occasion, um, uh, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now let's go to the Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 11 scripture, and then we'll 
uh, bring this together. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, verses 17 to 19 I'd like, uh, like us to uh, read. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And the, the Greek word for figure is tupos, T-U-P-O-S, which is a type. So let me read it again. So accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a type. So Abraham offering his only begotten son Isaac is a type. Let me just uh, illustrate here uh, quickly. As I said, God often got men to do typically in the Old Testament what he himself is going to fulfill actually. So it's like God the Father said to Abraham the Father, Abraham, you're a father, you have an only begotten son. I want you to do typically with your only begotten son what I'm going to do with my only begotten son. Now, here's the picture, and we're looking at the sacrifice on Abraham. Here's the picture in Abraham's life, and it is uh, really interesting. I've given you Genesis 12. And then I gave you Genesis 15, and then we have promises between, I'll put it here, Genesis 17 in a moment. Then we have Genesis 22. Now, these are very important chapters in Abraham's life, too, too much to go into. But here's the point here. In Genesis 15, God told him to offer five offerings, animal offerings, the heifer, the ram, the goat, and the two pigeons, number five, okay? Now, when we get to Genesis chapter 22, God doesn't say to Abraham now, offer animal sacrifices. He says, I want you to offer your only begotten son. Three days' journey. Now, here's the significant thing. After Abraham offered his only begotten son in type, he never again offered a sacrifice. How many see that God is, you know, in principle, Abraham, I want you to do typically what I'm going to do actually. Because as we move on to the next covenant in a little moment, we're going to come down to this covenant down here, which is the Mosaic covenant. And under the Mosaic covenant, we have five, what we refer to as the Levitical offerings, all shadowed back there, and then these offerings were offered for, thousand, for 1,500 years. Then when Jesus died on the cross as God's only begotten Son, after God's only begotten Son was offered, He abolished this and never again accepted animal sacrifice. How many think that's a fantastic picture? So God said, I want you to offer five offerings here at the beginning, because it's going to shadow what's going to happen in this covenant. But I want you here to offer your only begotten son three days' journey, and you receive him from the dead in a figure, death and resurrection, and you do typically what I'm going to do actually. So all through the Mosaic covenant, five Levitical offerings, Leviticus chapters 1 through to 7 give the intricate details, and then when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. 
what was finished, all this, God is no longer interested in animal sacrifices. So I ask the question because I ha how many of you have had to unlearn anything over the years? Uh, beside me, anybody else? You know, I mean, for years I taught on these things, some of these things, and had great anointings till I found I was wrong. <laughs> so I taught, you know, there's going to be a rebuilt temple in this end of the age and in the millennial kingdom, and there'll be bells and smells and incense and nonsense and animal sacrifices until somebody pulled me up and said, that is the biggest insult to Calvary. For God to, to reinstitute animal sacrifices in this end of the age in a rebuilt temple, Antichrist temple or a millennial temple, for God to reinstitute animal sacrifices uh, and the Levitical priest and the Aaronic priesthood and bells and smells, incense and nonsense, that's the biggest insult to Calvary. Because the interesting thing is that even in the Old Testament when they're offering these things, the Bible says, in burnt offering and offerings for sin, you have had no pleasure. So though he ordained it, he was never pleased with it. But when John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the Father said, oh, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I was never pleased with these things, though I ordained them, but I'm well pleased with my son, the Lamb. I think that's worth a hallelujah, don't you? Hey? So God got Abraham to do typically what he was going to do. So I think that's very significant that Abraham never offered another animal sacrifice once he'd offered his only begotten son because all these pointed to this. All these pointed to him. And he's the end of sacrifice. We have the body and blood of Jesus and God will never go back to animal sacrifices. I put it this way sometimes. Christians may want to rebuild a temple in the millennium or somewhere in the end of the age uh, and backslide the other side of the cross, but God never backslides. God will never go back the other side of the cross. That's what we're talking about in covenants here. All right, so... Uh, uh, so your offerings there, five offerings, and then consummated in the offering of his only begotten son. All right, everybody should know this. Uh, what's the sign and seal or token of the Abrahamic covenant? It's in this chapter here. It's, the, uh, it's circumcision. Circumcision was the sign and seal of the Abrahamic covenant. I want you to, let me give you some scriptures here. How are we doing? Okay, uh, put down Genesis chapter 17 and Romans 4.11. Genesis 17 and Romans 4.11 and Acts chapter 7 verse 8. So three scriptures I've given you there on the seal. Genesis 17, Romans 4.11, uh, Acts 7.8. Let's turn over to the Romans chapter 4 uh, reference here. Romans chapter 4. And you see, uh, the epistles of the Roman church and Galatians are almost twin epistles, really. Uh, Romans chapter 4. And uh, we'll pick up in, let's see, uh, verse 9, just to lead into it. So Romans 4, verse 9. And Paul is... Uh, saying, cometh this uh, blessed, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith 
was, was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they be uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. I mean, that, that is so loaded. Paul is unbelievable. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham believed God. We've seen this before. And God imputed it to him for faith righteousness. He is Gentilized, if you please. He is uncircumcised. And in a Gentilized physical state, he believed God. And it was counted to him for faith righteousness. Now he comes and offers the five offerings in Genesis 15. In fact, in Genesis 14, we don't want to get sidetracked here, but this is where he met Melchizedek priesthood and gave tithes and received the communion before he's circumcised. I mean, that's also loaded. And then, and then he doesn't get circumcised till chapter 17. So what is Paul saying? Listen, Abraham believed God when he was uncircumcised and he also continued to believe God when he was circumcised. Why? So he might be the father of all who believe, uncircumcision Gentiles or circumcision Jews, father of all who believe. So Paul's going way back to this. In fact, in Paul, if this was our subject, it's not totally, but if we took Paul, Paul takes every chapter pretty well of Abraham's life and builds his, his epistles on it. All right, so circumcision. Okay, uh, why don't we uh, add one more scripture there while you're in Romans. Romans 2, still on the seal. <clears throat> this will all come together uh, in due time, hopefully. How many feel it is coming together a little bit for you? Okay, um, I, I often tell people, particularly when they're teaching seminars, that I'm a, a jigsaw puzzle teacher. How many have ever put a jigsaw puzzle together? Well, the first thing you do is you lay out all the parts of the jigsaw puzzle. And then you pick up this bit and you fit in there, say, oh, I don't know where that fits, throw it away. And then you pick up another bit and you try it out, oh, I don't know where that fits, throw it away. No, you don't throw it away, you just say, well, I don't know where it fits, just put it on the shelf. But bit by bit, as the picture comes together, you don't force the parts or you distort the picture. But you just say, wow, that fits there, that fits there. I don't have to force the scriptures or distort the scriptures, but everything just locks and interlocks until at the end of it you say, wow, isn't that a fantastic puzzle? Well, that's what I like to do, lay out all the parts, especially in teaching here, lay out all the parts of the puzzle. We won't force the scriptures. If I say things you don't agree with, it's not my fault if I'm right, okay? Uh, don't throw it away. Put it on the shelf. And then bit by bit, hopefully it'll just all lock and interlock. And then at the end of the, the term, you can say, wow. Amen? Amen. I ask you a question then. All right, Romans chapter 2, while you're still in Romans there. 
So remember the jigsaw puzzle. So we're laying out the parts of the puzzle and hopefully it'll all come together. It is in my mind. <laughs> I want it in yours too. Uh, Genesis, <laughs> no Genesis, Romans. Romans chapter 2. And this is what Paul does because as we've seen in, in the issue in the Galatian church, Galatian churches, the Judaizing teachers are going around and they're trying to reinforce or enforce circumcision on the Gentiles. And in the Romans passage, Paul said, Hey, Abraham believed God when he was a Gentilized, if you please, when he was uncircumcised and he was justified and received faith righteousness. You Galatians, you foolish Galatians, don't you understand? Listen. Abraham was justified by faith in an uncircumcised state and it points to the fact that the Gentiles who are uncircumcised, they can be justified by faith. It doesn't matter whether you're uncircumcised or circumcised, believe God and then you become the children of Abraham. He's the father of all who believe. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say what I've been saying, coming out of covenantal confusion because there's confusion of covenants, which we get into further than not. Okay, Romans chapter 2, and Paul sort of gives you the key to the whole circumcision here, circumcision issue. Um, verse 20, 20 oh, where do you stop with Paul? 20, verse 24 of Romans 2. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. And remember the name was invoked in the child in circumcision. For, for circumcision uh, is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man, Gentile, keep the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically, I'm reading from New King James here, will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, and he's playing on the name Judah. Jew, Judah means praise, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So he's not a Jew which is one outwardly, but he's one a Jew inwardly. Would the real Jews stand up, please? Some of you don't know who you are. Yeah, okay. If you, you listen to this, I'm looking at the true Jew. That well, shocks you. So what about the Jewish problem? Hey, yeah, Paul deals with it here. Now, I've been in Jerusalem and ministered to the Jew after the flesh, try to get him to Christ. But I tell him, I'm a Jew too. Not by this. <laughs> and not by the flesh, but Jew inwardly. I, yeah, I've been circumcised in the heart. It's of the spirit. And my praise is not in men, but my praise is of God because I belong to Judah in that, that sense there. Amen? All right. Okay, we better move on. The clock is. All right. Uh, the Mosaic Covenant now. 
All right, just scriptures on this. The chapters you can put down, I mean, there's so much on this, but uh, just put down Deuteronomy chapter 4 and chapter 5. That'll be enough. There's more words on that than anything. The whole book of the law. So Deuteronomy chapter 4 and chapter 5. The offerings, the sacrifice or the covenant here, put down Exodus 24, Exodus 24 verses 3 to 8. Exodus 24, verse 3 to 8. And uh, Leviticus chapters, this is chapters 1 to 7. That's where we have the details of the five Levitical offerings. Leviticus chapters 1 to 7. Leviticus chapter 16, that's the great chapter on the great day of atonement. Leviticus 16. And then Numbers chapter 19. So that's Numbers 19. So Leviticus 1 to 7, these are chapters. Leviticus 16, Numbers 19. They are the details of the Levitical offerings, the five that I refer to here. So we have the five offerings. Now, here's something to keep in mind now because we, we, we're gradually working back in a while to Galatians. But uh, the sign and seal of the, uh, of the Mosaic Covenant is found in Exodus 31, Exodus 31, verses 12 to 18. I'll give you the scriptures first. Exodus 31, verse 12 to 18, and Ezekiel chapter 20. You can put that down. And your answer there is, the sign and seal of the Mosaic covenant is the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, the keeping of the Sabbath. Why don't you turn over quickly to uh, Ezekiel chapter 20 and at least pick up a couple of uh, verses here. Ezekiel chapter 20. Yes, Ezekiel chapter 20 and uh, just just, uh, two or three verses here. Verse 12. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign. So whether you say sign, seal, or token, all synonymous expressions, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They walked not in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. And my Sabbaths, they greatly polluted. And then... uh, In verse 16, because they despised my judgments, walked not in my statutes, but polluted my Sabbaths. Verse 20, and hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you. The whole chapter has to do with the Sabbaths. And that includes Sabbath on the land, Sabbath day, the Sabbath feasts, everything like that, the whole whole thing. So the sign is sealed. Now, let's pick it up again. What's happening in the Galatian church? Remember that part of our puzzle? They are going back. This is what the Judaizing teachers are doing. We're going to put another diagram on here in a moment. But they're going back to the Abrahamic covenant and they're taking circumcision, the sign and seal of the Abrahamic covenant, and they're taking the Sabbath day or the Sabbaths, uh, the sign and seal of the Mosaic covenant, and trying to put it on, let's anticipate here, and see new covenant believers. Let me, let me say the statement here. I'm going to repeat it later on. The issue is to come out of covenantal confusion is God never took the sign and seal 
of any previous covenant to stick it on the new covenant. So what they were doing, they were going back to the Abrahamic covenant and trying to take the sign and seal of circumcision and stick it on the Gentile believers. You've got to be circumcised or you can't be saved. I know you've got Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised also to be saved. That is legalism. And then they say, not only that, but you've got to keep the Sabbaths because God said the Sabbaths were everlasting. So they're going back to the Mosaic covenant and trying to take the sign and seal of the Mosaic covenant and stick it on you covenant believers. So you Gentiles, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to keep the Sabbaths and a whole other bunch of laws of Moses or you can't be saved. And Paul is saying, listen, that is absolute covenantal confusion. I want to show you that you're a new covenant believer. And, you know, this helped me because, uh, you know, I have people come to me periodically here and other places. Well, Kevin, what about the Sabbath? What about the seven-day Pentecostal? What about the seven-day Adventist? They tell me if I don't keep the Sabbath, I've got the mark of the beast. What about this? I should do this. Hey, I say, hey, you're, you're coming under covenantal confusion. Are you under the Mosaic Covenant? Are you under the Abrahamic Covenant in that area? Or are you under the New Covenant? I'm a New Covenant believer tonight. And know the truth that sets you free. And once you see this, well, that's it. Know the truth that sets you free. You come out of covenantal confusion. All right? So, the Sabbaths uh, on that. Now, let's go quickly through these other couple. Uh, Palestinian covenant, just put down Deuteronomy. These are all chapters. Deuteronomy 27 through to 30. That's all chapters 27, 28, 29, 30. Deuteronomy 27 through to 30. Uh, uh, just haven't got time to milk it. <laughs> then the uh, sacrifice of the covenant is found in Deuteronomy. Uh, sorry, yeah, no, 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 you're right. Deuteronomy 27, verses 1 to 8. Deuteronomy 27, verses 1 to 8, with Joshua 8. With Joshua 8, okay. I'll just say this. The, di the distinction between... The Mosaic Covenant and the Palestinian Covenant is the Mosaic Covenant concerns the people and the Palestinian Covenant, as its name is, concerns the land. So the Mosaic Covenant concerns the people and the Palestinian Covenant concerns the land. Let me say, say this statement, hit it and run away. If people would understand the Palestinian Covenant, which I've done very fully through the Bible then all the issue, well, about the Jew and the Arab today, about the Jews getting the land back and what about the Arabs and kicking out the Arabs, if, if Christians would study the Palestinian covenant, then they would come out, come out of covenantal confusion. I gave a plug for the book in the bookshop a couple of weeks back on that. Anyway, smile, you're on candid camera. Okay, so uh, the sacrifice, the altar of stones, when Joshua entered the land and they started to possess the land. All right, now, uh, under three, the seal or token, put down Deuteronomy chapter 11. Yes, Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 28. I think I understand my writing here. Deuteronomy 11, 28. And also, uh, Joel chapter 2, 
verse 23 to 32. Joel 2, verse 23 to 32. That'll be enough for that. I'll say what I believe the sign and seal was. The sign and seal of the Palestinian covenant, which has to do with the, the land, were the early and latter rains. And because I am the Lord of the land, I am the landlord. So who does Palestine really belong to? I'm the Lord of the land. He says, if you keep the laws of the land, I'll give you the early and latter rain. But if you violate the laws of the land, I'm going to hold back the rain. That was the sign and seal of his blessing on the land, the rains. And, and Isaiah, uh, I mean, Elijah said, Lord, stop the rain for three and a half years. Dry these people up. Because they were breaking covenant. Breaking covenant. Okay, next one. Davidic... Oh, thank you. Okay, Deuteronomy 11, 14. Thank you. So just correct that scripture there. Deuteronomy 11, 14. And there's other scriptures there, but just enough there. Okay, on the Davidic covenant, just put down 2 Samuel 7, just the chapter, and Psalm 89. That'll be sufficient there. The Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 89. And then on the sacrifice... You can put down 2 Samuel chapter 6 where David offers sacrifice. Always the same sacrifices as here. So that continues right through. So uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 verses 17 to 18. That's on the sacrifice. And then under the seal, am I going too fast? How are you all doing there? Everybody doing okay? Under the sign and seal, put down Psalm 89... Psalm 89, verses 27 to 37. Psalm 89, verse 27 to 37. And you'll find there that God chose the sun and the moon, you're listening carefully, the sun and the moon as the seal of the Davidic covenant. He said, as long as the sun and the moon last, so there will be somebody in the throne of David. Interesting, back here... To Abraham, God said, your seed will be as the stars. To Noah, God took the rainbow as the seal. In the Davidic covenant, he took the sun and the moon. So you have the rainbow under the Noahic covenant, sun and moon under the Davidic covenant, and under the Abrahamic covenant, he said, your seed will be as the stars. So we have sun, moon, stars, rainbow. God took those heavenly things as seals because nobody can touch them, not even the rainbow cult. And we're glad for that. All right. Now, have you understood all these things so far? I ask you a question. Have you understood these things so far? All right. Now, I want you to go to the sheet that you've got tonight. We'll come back to the new covenant because that's what this is all about, coming out of covenantal confusion. All right, so on our sheet tonight, uh, on the number one, we had review, and then number one was our word, sacrifice, and seal of the covenant. So we've done that right through except for the new covenant. Now, number two, the second thing I've got on your outline there is the importance of the Abrahamic covenant. All right, if you have another, another bit of paper here... Um, 
Don't tell my wife this, will you? Okay, I want you to just uh, look with me now because of what Paul is doing in, in, uh, in Galatians about Abraham and bringing Abraham and then when we get into Abraham's two sons and the allegory, Isaac and Ishmael are two covenants. We want to look at this on the Abrahamic covenant. See if I can get something a bit brighter. All right, now I want to make a statement. I want to make uh, uh, just a, a, a comment here. I personally believe, and I, I, I trust uh, you'll believe with me after this because I want you to believe me, that the Abrahamic covenant is the most important covenant of all the covenants that were made that side of the cross. Okay, let me say why. I'll just abbreviate this here. So let's uh, go along here on that famous line. I didn't think that had much uh, juice left in it. Okay, so let's uh, go along here. Now, what are the, what's the first covenant that we have? The EC, the Edenic covenant. And what was the sign and seal of that covenant, did we, we say? The tree of eternal life, okay? Tree of eternal life. All right, made before sin. Now, after sin, we have the AC, which is the Adamic covenant. And we have there the coats of skin. And also one of the major promises in this covenant was the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. Then the next covenant we have is what? You've got it there. The Noahic covenant. And we have the seal of the rainbow. But the major promise, there, there, were, there were a bunch of promises, but the major promise was that the seed line was going to continue through Shem. Keep this in mind, the seed line. The seed of woman, seed of Shem. Then the next covenant we have is the Abrahamic covenant and the major promise. Now, when we pick up the promises, we need to sort some things out there. So the major promise of that was, in thy seed shall all nations be blessed, and the sign of seer was circumcision. So now the seed promises, point to there, point to there, all fulfilled here. Now, let's just hold this level here. The last covenant to be made in the Old Testament was the Davidic covenant, the covenant to David. And there are a bunch of promises there, but the major promise to David was the seed of David. Uh, and, and also a virgin of the seed of David, a virgin of the house of David, the stem of Jesse, seed of David, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. So all these seed promises. So the major thing we're looking at and see when Paul in that uh, short passage we read tonight, in thy seed shall all nations be blessed. Okay, so pointing to Christ, first of all, anyway. Christ, who is the seed. So now, the Abrahamic covenant comprehends in itself the seed promise of the, uh, uh, the Adamic covenant, the seed promise of the Noahic covenant, 
and the seed promise of the Davidic covenant. This involves the seed covenant. So the Abrahamic covenant is actually uh, the most comprehensive covenant. It involves in itself the other covenants. Everybody understand that? We're too heavy. We're swimming here. Okay, so it's the most comprehensive because these have measures of promise, measure of promise, great promises here, great promises here, but the major thing is, so that's what Paul is saying, okay, uh, the, the seed until the seed should come. Now, we've got to pick up the other covenants. So that's on number two, the importance of the Abrahamic covenant uh, in relation to all co other covenants. I say it's the most important covenant made that side of the cross. Now, number three, the third thing on your outline there is the three most important covenants. Okay, now listen to this. The three most important covenants. Turn back to Galatians now and we'll, we'll superimpose uh, some of the thoughts that uh, we read at the beginning here. Galatians chapter 3. Everybody coming along with me? Are you okay there? Got to think. Okay, Galatians 3, and we'll pick up in verse uh, 16. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one unto thy seed, which is, everybody say it, Christ. So, in this verse... Christ is the seed of Abraham. In fact, Christ is the fulfillment of this, the seed of the woman, the seed of Shem, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, a virgin of the house of David will conceive and bear a son. It begins with the seed of the woman, and the last seed promises the, the virgin shall bear, uh, conceive and bear a son. Christ is the end of that seed there. Everybody clear on that? Christ is the seed. So, Galatian believers, I want to bring you to Christ. If you, uh, if, if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed, okay. Christ is the seed. That's verse 16. Um, all right, now, the number three here, continuing in uh, reading, first of all. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of none effect. Let's do this. What covenant? The law covenant. So, we need to put a line here. 430 years later, God made another covenant, and this was the Mosaic covenant. Now, the promise was given here, and I, I'll have to say this and then repeat it again. See, the new covenant is going to disannul and make of, fulfill and make of no more effect the Mosaic covenant. So they are arguing, well, if the new covenant abolishes the Mosaic covenant, then it must get rid of the Abrahamic covenant. Paul says, no, just a minute, covenantal confusion here. The Mosaic covenant is 430 years later, and it cannot disannul the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? 
Why? Because the new covenant was in the Abrahamic covenant. We said that before, but let's say it again. When God said to Abraham, in your seed shall all nations be blessed, that was the new covenant. The new covenant was in the Abrahamic covenant. Everybody see that? That was the greatest promise. So that's why I say the Abrahamic covenant is the greatest, most comprehensive covenant because it includes in itself the, Abra the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant seed promises, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant. It includes, and that's why Paul says, hey, if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed and you're heirs to the promise. But they're saying, oh no, uh, if the new covenant abolishes and disannuls the Mosaic covenant, then it must... No, he says, no, 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 just hold it, you covenantal confusion. All right, so, with the Mosaic covenant, as I said, 430 years later, it concerned, oh, concerned the people, okay? Belonging to the Mosaic covenant was the Palestinian covenant, which concerned the land. So, if you've got people, you've got to have land. So, Mosaic covenant, Palestinian. But these are on a secondary level. I want to add two words now, uh, which will be your next thing. Okay, number three. So, the three most important covenants, let me say that statement here. The three most important covenants, I believe, in the Bible, and this is what Galatians is about, is the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the new covenant. And this is the problem that we've got to sort out. What's the relationship of the new covenant to the Mosaic? What's the relationship of the Mosaic to the Abrahamic? What's the relationship of the, no, uh, the new covenant to the Abrahamic? What goes on here? How do we sort it all out? Because we're taking circumcision from that covenant and Sabbath days from this covenant and we're trying to tack it on to the new covenant believers. And Paul say, hey, purpose of my Galatian epistle is to get you out of covenantal confusion. Now, go to number four here in just a few more moments, and I think you've almost had enough for tonight. Number four, on your outline there, I put temporal and everlasting covenants. Temporal and everlasting covenants. Now, let me say this. There are some covenants that are everlasting in some things. I to say that. And there are covenants that are temporal. Full stop. There are covenants that are everlasting and go on through the cross. But there's other covenants that are fulfilled and abolished at the cross. So because people do not understand covenants and what is temporal and what is everlasting, they, they are in covenantal confusion. That's what we've got to sort out. What's temporal, what's everlasting? All right, now number five, I'll, I'll have to pick this up probably uh, next week a little, a little bit more fuller. But um, I'm trying to K-I-S-S-S, -S -S, keep it simple, saints. Not uh, keep it simple, stupid, uh, but keep it simple, saints, okay? Um, how will I do this? All right, what I've got under, under, under number five here is the significance of the oath 
of a covenant. Turn over to, turn over to um, Hebrews here. This, this will help us. We'll come to the surface in another week or so, so it's okay. Uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. All right, how many, how many uh, while you turn to Hebrews 6, how many understand that uh, taking an oath is very important? Uh, I, I, I've been to court uh, a couple of times, one time I was on jury for eight days. Yeah, but I wouldn't swear on the Bible, I mean, because those guys swore on the Bible and they swore like the devil after that. So they swore on the Bible, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So amazing God didn't strike them all dead. Uh, just as well under grace at the moment. Uh, so I wouldn't swear on the Bible. I mean, how can I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? And Jesus said, don't swear at all. Don't take oath either by heaven, which is his throne, or by earth, which is his footstool, or even your hair that falls out. Just don't take oaths because you can't tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth because you don't know it all. So I said, I will affirm and do my best. Right? Okay? So the, the thing is, when you take an oath, you're meant to keep that oath on pain of death. Is that right? So, go, so help me God. Now, there are certain covenants that God put an oath to, and once God put an oath on it, no one can add to it or take away from it but on pain of death. There are some covenants that had no oath attached to it. The temple mosaic covenant did not have the oath of eternity on it. The Abrahamic covenant had an oath on it. Listen to it, Hebrews 6. And, and, and we've already touched on these chapters. Uh, Genesis, uh, what did I say? Hebrews 6, verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, who did he swear by? Himself. Now, he didn't swear by heaven and earth. Why? Because heaven and earth are going to pass away. He swore by himself, his own eternal, immutable being. So when God made promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater, he didn't swear by an angel, a creator being, or heaven and earth which are to pass away. He didn't swear by anything else because everything else is temporal and going to pass away. He swore by himself, his own eternal, immutable being. And what was the oath? Saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee, so after he had pain, and, uh, and so after he had patient, patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more, more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. I not only give you a promise... But just to know that I'll keep my promise, I confirm it with an oath. C continue here. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirm it by an oath, that by two immutable things, what are the two immutable things? 
God and his oath. God himself, his person, and his oath, his word. They are the two immutable things. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, and he goes way back now to Genesis 14, to the priesthood that Abraham had, Melchizedek. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So after bringing Abraham in and the oath, and the promise and God himself, the two immutable things, God and his oath, he goes back to the priesthood that Melchizedek had. Turn over now to one more scripture, and I think we'll hold it there. Uh, we'll pick up the last thing next week. What's the whole purpose of the Mosaic Covenant? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7. While we're on this thought of the oath, Yes, uh, so, so he picks up the Melchizedek priesthood. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 7 and verse, uh, verse uh, where do we go here? Verse 15, yeah, verse 15, Hebrews 7, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 7 follows chapter 6. Everybody agree with that? I know that's profound. Uh, verse, uh, what did I say? Verse 15. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there arises another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For verily, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and the profitableness thereof for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh to God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath, by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not change his mind or repent, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let, 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 let's hold it there and we'll pick it up again. What is Paul, if it's Paul here, the Hebrew saying, listen, when God made covenant to Abraham, not only gave a promise, but he confirmed it by an oath. So the Abrahamic covenant cannot be disannulled by the Mosaic nor by the new. Confirmed with an oath, and no man disannulleth or nulls or adds thereto or takes away. And to make it worse, he goes down to Psalm 110, which is a psalm of David, and it says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this Melchizedek was confirmed to be a priest forever, and it was confirmed with an oath. May I say this for those who are a little bit more thinking? If Jesus Christ is not Melchizedek, then you have two priests. And you can't. Now, these priests, the APH, 
the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood, these were made priests without an oath. Their priesthood was not to continue. The Aaronic and Levitical priesthood was fulfilled and abolished at the cross. But God said to his son Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That is the psalm of the Davidic covenant and that is the priesthood that was given to Abraham. The new covenant brings us back to the priesthood that Abraham had. We don't need the Aaronic priesthood. Amen? Wow. How, how many feel just sort of overwhelmed by the glory of this? I do say, oh, Father, thank you. Let's close in prayer. I think you've had enough for tonight. Father, we just uh, thank you for the glory of your inexhaustible word. We pray, Lord, uh, with the Apostle Paul, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of yourself shall be upon us and the eyes of our understanding shall be enlightened that we'll know the hope of our calling in the glory of the new covenant. Help us, Lord, not to be enslaved by the yoke of bondage and the Judaizing spirit that is, gets into so many churches, but to know that we are new covenant believers and knowing the truth that sets us free. Thank you, Father. Seal these words to our heart. We ask in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information. God bless.